0: What is good to see everyone this morning. I know we've got some guests who are with us today, so if you are a guest, thanks so much um, for choosing to worship with us. And if I didn't get a chance to meet you on your way in, my name is Bill, and it's my privilege to serve as a lead pastor here at the table. Um, And so if you are a guest, we would love to connect with you, and the easiest way to do that is to have you text the word WELCOME to 817-755-1668. So if you don't get it on the screen, it is on a sticker somewhere Um, near you. Um, And so what you will receive back when you text us is a uh, link to a digital connection card so we can get some information from you Um, and just begin to build a relationship with you. We want to find out how we can serve you and your family. And if you have any questions about anything that you hear this morning or about the church, um, I would love to be able to answer those questions this morning. And so I will head out to our connection area just out the doors to the right Um, and would love to visit with you for a couple of minutes. The other thing that I wanted to mention while I am up here, if you are new uh, to the table or newer to the table or you've been around a really long time and you've never done this, um, in the month of June on Wednesday nights um, for four weeks, we are doing what we call Formed. So the rationale behind the name, so when we become a a follower of Jesus, God begins to do a work in us, molding us and shaping us or forming us so that we become more like Jesus. And so for four weeks, we're going to talk about what God wants to do in our lives and then through our lives and then what that looks like as we come together as a church and what God wants to do. And so um, regardless of where you are in your walk, Regardless of how long you've been a Christian or a follower of Jesus, I think there is something for you informed. I highly, highly encourage you to to participate in that Um, with us in the month of June from 7 to 8. It's going to be located over in the auditorium of our kids' center, um, our kids' building over there. Um, And it is also our pathway to partnership. And so if you're interested in um, what most churches do, Uh, call being a member. We use the the language partnership, not membership. I'll talk about that in Formed. Um, Formed is for you uh, if you're interested in that as well. And so we're going to make it super easy on you today. Um, We actually have sign-up sheets where you can just kind of write your name down real fast, and in 30 seconds you will be registered for Formed. And so that is also over at um, our connection wall out the doors to your right. There's a sign-up sheet there, so get signed up this morning for that. There is obviously an in-person option. There's also an online option. So if you can't get here on Wednesday, you can join us online. If you say, "Hey, I really want to do it, but I can't be there all four weeks, or I can't be there, uh, you know, one week or something like that," come talk to me. We can make um, other arrangements. The reason I say that is because I think what we cover informed is so important. I want to figure out a way to get you the information um, because I I, I just think it's it's so vital to who we are as a church and in understanding what it means um, as we gather together. So after the service this morning, if you have never done formed, you head out the doors, hang a right on the connection. Cody's not in here. And the connection nook, he's going to talk about the other nook um, this morning. He said he didn't want to use that word, so I'm using it multiple times. So to the connection nook on the right, you'll find the uh, formed sign-up list. Come see me there. If there are issues, let me know. We can work around those issues. So there you go. End of commercial. Now it's time for the message. I don't know if you've ever done this. Uh, Have you ever made a list of things that you wish the Bible didn't say. Probably never actually made a list. Maybe you've made a mental list at some point, things that you wish the Bible didn't say. Or maybe, at the very least, when you've read something or heard something, you thought to yourself, man, I wish the Bible didn't say that. The things that we wish the Bible didn't say are those things that challenge us in an area of life where we would prefer not to be challenged. There are those things that we read about that call us to live differently in an area where we would just rather just go on doing what we've always done because we're far more comfortable with that. So if you've never made a list of things that you wish the Bible didn't say, don't worry. I'm going to give you the top five things that I wish the Bible didn't say. And it would be really fun if we had a nice graphic and maybe a soundtrack for this, but we don't, so you'll just have to put up with me. The top five things that I wish the Bible didn't say. The first thing on my list, number five. Is found in the book of 1 Peter. It's where Peter says, why are you surprised at the painful trial that you were suffering as though something strange were happening to you? Basically, if they persecuted Jesus, they are also going to persecute you. I wish the Bible didn't say that. What I wish that Peter said was, man, it is crazy that these difficult things are happening to you because it's not supposed to be that way. Or what I wish it said was, hey, don't be surprised at the painful trial that you are suffering, but know this, everybody only gets one season. So just hang on, get through it, life will get better. But instead, Peter doesn't say that. Basically, here's my paraphrase of what Peter said. Life is hard. We should expect life to be hard. Just get used to it. It's always going to be that way. So I really appreciate Peter's encouragement there. The next couple of things on my list of things that I wish the Bible didn't say are all from Jesus found in the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives like what it could be described as, as kingdom values. Uh, it's how followers of Jesus are supposed to live out as we live out the kingdom of Jesus. And so in in the Sermon on the Mount, he says a lot of things like this. You've heard it said this. Maybe it's an Old Testament practice, but I tell you this, it's supposed to be something different. And so there are several things in the Sermon on the Mount that I just honestly wish the Bible didn't say. The first of those is love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I wish the Bible didn't say that. What I wish it said was something, what I believe is far more reasonable, something like this. Like, tolerate your enemies And every once in a while, maybe pray for those who persecute you. Like, to me, that seems far more uh, accessible. It's easier to do than it is to love enemies. Something else, this would be number three on my list of things that I wish the Bible didn't say, is when someone strikes you on the cheek, turn to him the other also. Again, what it seems far more reasonable to me that it, it should say something like this. Listen, if somebody strikes you on the cheek... Don't retaliate, but get the heck out of there so that you don't put yourself in a position the same thing happens again, right? Like that is far more reasonable to me to read something like that, but that's not what it says. It says if someone strikes you on the cheek, you turn to him the other one and give him another free shot. I don't like that. Number four on the list of things... Number two, if we're counting in reverse order now, right? Number two on the list of things that I wish the Bible didn't say. It's actually something that Kelly mentioned in the first five this morning. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, let your requests be made known to God. I wish the Bible didn't say that. What I wish that it said was something like this. Hey, don't worry about the small stuff. Or don't worry about the things that you can't control because it doesn't do any good. But the big things, maybe things like money... I say that because that's what I often find myself worrying about. Like, it's fine to worry about that stuff. In fact, I wish it said, you know what, it's really smart to worry about that stuff. That's wisdom, but it doesn't say that. It says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, pray and let your requests be made known to God. There is one more. Number one on the list of things that I wish the Bible didn't say, it's actually found in the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at in just a minute. And I will tell you before I tell you what it is, this is the one for me that is harder than anything else. With the rest of those, while I may not like them, I feel like maybe in some sense as I think about them, I think, man, like I don't want to do those, but I can at least try. I'm not necessarily going to get it right all the time, but I'll I'll do the best that I can. Maybe I can get better. With this last one, I feel like I've just defeated already. Like, why even do it? I don't want to do it. I, I just, I would rather the Bible did not say this thing at all. This one's far worse than all of the rest of them to me. And you may be surprised at what I'm going to say, but here it is. The number one thing on my list of the top five things that I wish the Bible did not say is this. Don't complain about anything. Do everything without grumbling or complaining. I wish the Bible didn't say that. I wish the Bible said something more like this. Hey, as long as you do the right thing, feel free to complain all you want. The reason I say that is that's kind of how I have a tendency to live my life, I think. Like, I'll try to do the right thing. It doesn't mean I'll get it right all the time, but I'm okay trying to do the right thing if it's the right thing to do. But, like, if I don't want to do it, I want to complain through the process. It's like my way of coping. But The Bible says don't complain about anything or do everything without grumbling or complaining. In fact, I find that I complain a lot. In fact, several weeks ago, as I was really beginning to dig into uh, the portion of Scripture that we're looking at today, preparing for the message, I became really, really convicted. Because a few days prior to when I really started to dig into this, I realized, man, like I was in a bad place with my complaining. A couple of days before I really started to dig into this passage of Scripture, Caroline, our daughter, she's in fifth grade, she had a track meet. She's finishing up the fifth grade. So this is like a rec track season. It's really short, four weeks on Friday nights, like, it was supposed to be really simple, um, but man, the first track meet, it was terrible. And I know you're thinking, you're complaining, but I'm complaining for a purpose this morning, so you just hang with me. See, these track meets were supposed to be two hours, that's what they said. We sat there that night for four hours, for four minutes. And that night, it wasn't like really cold, but it was super windy. And so I was freezing to death. I was absolutely miserable. The problem was my complaints, they didn't just stay in my head, but they came out in my words. And then everyone else who was seated around me knew exactly how I felt. Like, who put this thing on? It's the most unorganized thing I've ever been to. Why can't they figure this thing out? We're going to sit here forever. We'll be here till midnight at this rate, complaining. And again, everybody knew what I thought. I think most people thought the same thing I did, but I know that we're not supposed to complain about anything. Do everything without grumbling or complaining. And so then as I was thinking through what the passage that we're looking at teaches, I began to think, well, why do I complain? I complain when things aren't fair to me. When I want to put myself at the center of my own existence, that's when I begin to complain. Right Sitting at that track meeting, it was not fair to me, I had better things to do. When traffic is really bad, that's not fair to me because I, my time is really valuable. When I have to do things that I don't want to do, it's not fair to me because I have more important things to accomplish. But it's not about me. right We talked about that last week that We are supposed to have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And the way that we define that was it's humility that seeks the good of others, even at personal expense. You ever think that being a Christian is hard? Sometimes it can feel that way. Different reasons that people might say that being a Christian is hard. For some people, they think being a Christian is hard because they see being a Christian as following a list of rules. There's a a list of things that you're not supposed to do, and then a list of things that you have to do, and so it's hard to know when to apply what rules when, so it can feel hard like that. I don't think that's actually what being a Christian is, but I I can understand that some people would feel that way. Others believe that being a Christian is hard because it can change the way that you relate to other people. So when you become a follower of Christ, maybe your friends or, or maybe family begins to view you differently. They think you're weird or something like that, and so they can treat you differently. And so you know, because of reasons like that, being a Christian can feel like it's hard. I think at times being a Christian can be hard too, but not for those reasons. The reason that I think being a Christian can feel hard sometimes is because if we actually embrace our faith, then we're constantly confronted with the reality that we want life to be about me, but it can't be. We talked about it last week, how we're called as followers of Jesus to be radically others-centered. And It's when we begin to complain, it reminds us that we're not there yet. We're actually finishing our series, Not Done Yet, this morning. And so over the last few weeks, as we've looked at the first two chapters in the book of Philippians, we've been talking about how God is not done yet, both with what he wants to do in us and also what he wants to do through us. And I know God's not done with what he wants to do in us because none of us are at the place where we don't at times want to make life about me. And so God is not done with the work that he wants to do in us this side of heaven. And so this morning, we're going to continue on right, picking up right where we left off last week in Philippians chapter 2. This morning, we're going to look at Philippians two twelve through 18. So if you've got a Bible, I would invite you to turn there. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. If you don't have a Bible, it will be on the screen as I read it here in just a second. Or if you are a version Bible app user, you can find your way to our live event and follow along there. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes to this church of the city of Philippi, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose." Do everything, here it is, do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your, of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should be glad, should also be glad and rejoice with me. So, if you're here with us last week, or maybe you watched the service online um, after Sunday, we finished with what many scholars believe to be an early church hymn where Paul lays out Jesus as our example. Like When he said in verse 5, let this mind be in you or let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, he then goes into this poetic section where he holds up Jesus as the example of what it means to be selfless and to be humble, seeking the good of others even at personal expense. Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but he emptied himself and took upon himself the form of a servant. And so he's holding up Jesus as the example, saying, hey, be like Jesus in everything. That's what we should pursue. That's what life is all about. And then he continues on in this section that we're looking at today. And he says, first, you have to do everything you can to make sure that your faith manifests itself in how you live your life the way that Paul says it, starting in verse 12. He says, therefore, just as you have always obeyed, so now in my absence, or not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So I got to be careful with this because Paul says, work out your salvation. He does not say work for your salvation. It'd be really easy to Uh, confuse the two things, we could never earn our salvation. Regardless of how good we are, regardless of the good things that we could do, we would never actually earn our salvation. And the, the idea is not, well, after you come to faith in Christ, do everything you can to pay God back. We couldn't do that either. That's not what Paul's saying. He's not saying work for your salvation. He says work out your salvation. In other words, make sure that your faith is manifesting itself in how you live your life. It has to make a difference in the way that you live. We have to do everything to make sure that faith is impacting our lives. Now, to me, that's where Christianity can get hard because being a follower of Jesus is far more than just affirming a set of beliefs. Every couple of years, I get a survey from Dallas Theological Seminaries where I went to school And they send this out and they say, hey, can you still affirm all of the points in our doctrine? There's a little checkbox, yes or no. So every few years, I affirm that I still believe these certain principles. Now, is being a Christian part, is that part of being a Christian, affirming a certain set of beliefs? Absolutely. There are a certain core set of beliefs that we have to affirm and say yes to, like who Jesus is, that he's the son of God. What Jesus did, that he died on the cross, and that's the only thing that allows us to have a relationship with God. So there are certain a certain set of core beliefs that we have to affirm being a Christian, but it's far more than just affirming those beliefs. At the same time, being a Christian is not just about knowing the right answers. When I was a kid growing up, we used to have Bible trivia at our house, a board game, Bible trivia. I see some of you shaking your head. You probably had that in your home too. If you didn't have that, it's like trivial pursuit, but all the questions are related to the Bible. And so we would break out Bible trivia as a family and go through this from time to time. Well, being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, is not about being an ace at Bible trivia. Now, it's helpful to know certain things, but it's more than just knowing the right answers. I also grew up watching uh, G.I. Joe cartoons. If you're around my age, you probably remember the G.I. Joe cartoons. If you're younger than me, here's your assignment for later this afternoon. Netflix, the toys that made us, Watch the uh, episode on G.I. Joe. I didn't know this. This is, this is totally an aside. This is bonus material for the message today. It's not about what we're talking about. I did not know this, that back in the 80s, when you had toys, you had to make a show that sold the toys, And so the show was really about selling the toys, right? So I watched G.I. Joe every afternoon when I got home from school. At the end of every episode of G.I. Joe, they had a public service announcement. Things like, here's what to do so you don't burn down your house, right? Things like that. It's really helpful information. And so it said at the end of that, knowing is half the battle, right? Knowing the right answers is something But it's not everything. You can know all the right answers, but if you don't put those answers into practice and actually how you live your life, you have gotten nothing. If you've been with us uh, throughout this year, I have said this a lot. And so hopefully at this point for some of you, it is beginning to be a broken record. What we want to see in the life of everyone who is a part of the table is we want to see your faith come alive. We want to see your faith come alive so that we can release disciple makers in our homes, in our places of work, in our schools, and in our community so that we can impact the lives of thousands of people around us. We want to see your faith come alive. What I mean by that is a lot like what Paul's saying when he says, continue to work out your salvation, right? It's faith making a difference in how we actually live our lives. Now, when you stop and think about that, that can be hard to make sure that faith is impacting every area of our life. It's at least hard to do or hard to do consistently. And then Paul continues. He says, Do everything you can to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to His good purpose. I can almost read between the lines this Conversation. Maybe it's in Paul's head as he's anticipating the questions that the Philippians would ask him. Hey, do everything you can to work out your salvation. Make sure that your faith is impacting the way that you live. But Paul, this is really hard. I mean, it's hard to do it consistently. It's hard to 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 do that all the time. Paul says, "Well, I know, I know it's hard. But listen, here's the good news. You don't have to try to do this alone." You're, you're, you're not in this by yourself. It's God who is at work in you to will and to do his good purpose. So it's God who's helping you in this process. Here's what Paul's saying it's God who gives you the want to and shows you how to live for his purpose. It's God who gives us the want to because on our own, we're not going to have the want to. And then it's God who shows us how to, because on our own we'll never understand exactly how to. So it's God who gives us the want to and shows us the how to live for the purposes of God. the end of John chapter 16, Jesus was talking with his disciples, telling them that he was getting ready to leave. And he said that he was going to leave, and where he was going, the disciples couldn't follow. And ultimately, we know that what Jesus was talking about was his impending death, through crucifixion and then ultimately his resurrection and then ascension into heaven. Not sure that the disciples understood all that he was talking about in that moment, but yet at the same time, they had been with Jesus for the better part of three years. When they didn't know what to do, they just asked Jesus, or they just followed his example. Whatever he did, they tried to do that too. So they, generally speaking, they knew what to do all the time. If they didn't know there was Jesus, let's just do what he's doing. So you can imagine, all of a sudden, they're beginning To think through what Jesus is saying, hey, I'm leaving, you can't go where I'm going. And they're thinking, well, how will we ever know what to do? Jesus says this, I'm not leaving you alone. I will send the Holy Spirit, the counselor or the comforter who will guide you into all truth. If we try to live out our faith consistently on our own, it is an impossible task, but thankfully we are not alone. It's the Holy Spirit, when we come to faith in Christ, resides in us and begins to transform our hearts, giving us the want to. And it's the Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth. So as we read God's Word, it's the Spirit who helps us to understand how to apply that so that we understand how to live for God's purposes. So we've got to do everything that we can to make sure that our faith is manifesting itself in how we live our lives, but we're not alone in that. Thankfully, we have the Spirit of God who shows us, who gives us the want to and shows us how to. And then we get into verse 14. This is the part I, I, I just don't like. I wish this wasn't here. Paul says, Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be pure, may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world. Do everything without grumbling or complaining so that we shine like stars. We're supposed to do everything without grumbling or complaining because we are called to be different. Everything. I don't know if you had a, a, a class like this in college. I had a, a couple of classes like this. First day you walk into class, they hand you the syllabus, and in the syllabus, it just lays out very specifically what you need to do to get an A, or what you need to do to get a B, or what you need to do to get a C. So, like, the A standard was something like, you get to write three 15-page papers. Felt like that was too much? The B standards write three 10-page papers, or the C standard write three 6-page papers. Sometimes you'd walk into class in a given semester and, like, that A standard felt like too much. You can't, like, that's impossible. So I'm going to settle for the B or the C. I look at this and where it says, do everything without grumbling or complaining, to me, that's the A standard. And I'm looking for, where's the B or C? How can I get out of this? Here's the problem. There is no B or C standard. It is what it is. We are supposed to do everything without grumbling or complaining. The reason we are called to be different. Why is it that we have a tendency to complain? I will tell you, at least for me, I complain when I am not at the center of my own existence. And my complaints should be a reminder that life is not about me. Now, i got to explain something to you where Paul says, do everything without grumbling or complaining. That word everything, it's a really technical term. So, those of you that take notes, you're going to want to write this down. So, everything is a technical term. Here's what it means. Everything means everything. Like There is no I can get out of it in a certain area. Everything means everything. Paul says we're to do everything without grumbling or complaining. Everything means everything, and everything includes what we do in the community of faith. What's interesting is the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the Philippian church for a very specific reason. Part of the reason that he wrote this letter is that there were internal conflicts in the church. Where we looked at last week, you make sure that you're putting the needs of others before your own. He's writing against the backdrop. There's problems happening in the church, this internal conflict. In the, uh, towards the end of the book, he actually even calls out two women by name and says, urge these two to get along. Do everything you can to make sure that they're getting along. We don't know the nature of their argument. We don't know what was happening or anything like that. But we just know like something was happening, and Paul's writing this letter saying, hey, everybody's got to get together and be united together. So, as we apply this to our lives, we have to do everything inside the community of faith without arguing or complaining. And everything means everything. Not only does it apply inside the community of faith, it applies outside the community of faith as well. Just think for a second about the things that you complain about. Bad drivers, traffic, the weather, gas prices, taxes, literally the cost of everything at this point. Um, I could go on and on because I find that I can, that's that's just the stuff that I complained about this morning, actually. So um, we can't complain about any of those things because we are called to be different. And so listen, for those of us who are followers of Christ, we recognize Facebook is not a complaint board about all of the things that are wrong in the world. We are called to be different. Paul says shine like stars in this perverted and crooked generation. We are called to be different as followers of Jesus. Life isn't about me, but ultimately it is about following the example of Jesus in everything. We're called to be different. We're called to be different for the sake of the gospel. The gospel just literally means the good news about Jesus. and We understand that the gospel is not about me. We could define the gospel this way. When I could do nothing, Jesus accomplished everything. It is not about me. When we could do nothing, Jesus accomplished everything. The reason that we are called to be different, making sure that we don't complain, not putting ourselves at the center of our own existence, it's for the sake of the gospel. So that when people look at our lives, they see something different. Because we are living out the gospel, the truth, that life isn't about me. Because the gospel is the story of a God who loved us so much that, in spite of our faults and failings, and His one and only Son Jesus, who left the glories of heaven and took upon Himself human flesh and willingly laid down His life for us by dying on the cross, so that we could be redeemed and forgiven, brought into a relationship with God that should change everything about us and last forever. That's the gospel. It's not about me, it is for me, but it is not about me and should change everything in my life. That's why we have to do everything that we can to make sure that we're living out our faith, that it's impacting every area of our lives. And listen, I wish it didn't say it. I wish it didn't say, do everything without arguing and complaining. Maybe it should say, like, just try to do most things. Because here's the thing. This is why I don't like it. You're going to come see me tomorrow, if you want to. You're going to say, hey, Bill, what did you complain about today? And I'll be able to give you a list of things. Because I don't think it's magic. Like, I'll just get over it. But here's what I hope. That every time I complain, based on the challenge that we receive from this message today, when I start to complain, I'll remember this. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. Because when I could do nothing, Jesus did everything. And so maybe throughout the course of my life, I'll get a little bit better at making sure I'm not at the center, but Jesus is. And I think that's the challenge for all of us. And a great reminder to do everything without grumbling or complaining so that when people look at us, they see us living out the truth of the gospel, we pray with me, Heavenly Father. Thanks for the challenge, for at least for me, God. This area where I would just rather that verse not be in the Bible at all. But God, I do think it's a great reminder of the reality that we do so often want to put ourselves at the center of our own existence. When you've called us to be different, to live radically others-centered. So, Father, I I mean, I'll just be realistic. I I don't know that tomorrow I will never complain again. But maybe as I start to complain about certain things that aren't going my way, I'll be reminded it's not about me. And so I pray through the work of your Holy Spirit that you would help all of us with the want to and show us how to live for your purposes. Thanks for never leaving us alone. So be at work in us, transforming us, so that we can live out the truth of the gospel, that when we could do nothing, Jesus accomplished everything. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.